It's hard to stay sober in the city. Here's your sobriety assistant, Debbie Strand. This is Sober in the City, brought to you by Believe Treatment Center. Believe Treatment Center understands and treats all forms of addiction. Call now, 1-855-874-2354, or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com. Advisors are standing by to tell you how they can help and how your insurance can pay for it. We're back with more Sober in the City, and I'm Debbie Strand. And in case you're just tuning into Sober in the City, we're talking about grief and relapse. What grieving have you tried to avoid by getting drunk and high? How's that worked out for you? And what could we have done better? If you think you or someone you care about might have a problem with drugs, alcohol, food issues, gambling, love addiction, whatever it is, we don't care. Give us a call 800-SOBER-05. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us if you're staying sober, how you're doing it, and what's taking you back out if you can't stay sober. What is your opinion of all this stuff that we're sharing? And what would you like to hear a show about? I'll get a dozen people from all over the country and we'll talk about a topic just for you. Give me a call or write me an email. You can also listen live on the Sober in the City app for both Apple and Droid devices and visit us at SoberInTheCity.com. Call us now, 800-SOBER-05. We're talking about grief and relapse. What grieving have you done? What have you tried to avoid by getting drunk and high? How's it worked out for you? And what could you have done better? We talked a lot about tragic situations, death of parents, loved ones, children, grandchildren, all kinds of things in this show. People have managed to stay sober. They're comparing their experiences of when they were using versus when they were sober and getting through these situations. We're also talking a little bit about in the last segment, grieving that lifestyle, grieving the drugs that we were giving up that we thought at one time perhaps were our best friends. And we're going to go to Robin in West Milford, New Jersey. Robin, welcome to Sober in the City. Thanks, Debbie. You hear what I'm talking about? This grief and relapse. What have you been through while you're in addiction? What have you been through while you're sober? How's that worked out for you? What are some tools people can use? Are you grieving the lifestyle? Are you grieving giving up drugs? Have you done that? Talk to us. Um, you know, I think um, I kind of tried to uh, cover up some grieving with, with my addiction. Um had to do with a lot of abuse in my childhood, and I, you know, I just kind of pushed it to the back of my mind, and and it was easier to just get high and get drunk and use than to deal with all the feelings it created. And I did that for many, many years. As far as on the other side of the spectrum, I've lost, I've lost several people while I was in recovery. Um, I guess mainly I could point to my parents. Um, the first major loss that I had in recovery, I had about three years clean, and it was my mother. And uh, she had been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And she lived about uh, close to 2,000 miles away. She lived in Missouri, and I lived on the East Coast. And, um, you know, when she told me what it was, I was I just went into a panic. Um you know, and of course, I, I had no experience with that being clean, and I, I didn't quite know how to handle it. So I did what I do when I don't know how to handle things, and uh, I kind of went to my personal form of meditation, which is getting out on the water and and uh, doing a little fishing. And for whatever reason, that kind of uh, quiets my mind and, and puts me in a position where I can hear HP speak to me. HP, so, meaning your higher power. That's nice. I like that. Yes. Yes. So um, she told me on a Friday, I went out on the boat on 
on a Saturday, still not knowing how to deal with it or what I was going to do. And um, by the time I got off of the boat, I had formulated a plan that, you know what, I was going to take a little time off of work. I was going to jump on a plane. I was going to fly out there. I was going to be with her. And um, I did that. And, um, yeah, that, that, was, that was tough because I, I was there for three weeks. And, um, you know, I, 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 I did everything, I think, the way that I should have done it. I made sure that there were meetings that I could attend there. Um, I was making a meeting every day while I was out there. And I was talking about what I was going through. And, you know, I was being there for my mother. And I was taking her to the oncologist, to the radiologist, and, and things of that nature. And um, that was in June, and um, I, I will never, I'll never forget, um, at the end of three weeks, I went to get, you know, I was getting ready to get back on the plane and fly back to the East Coast. And as I, it, it was very early in the morning because I had an early flight and I had to drive three hours to get to the flight. And I remember looking at my mother and the thought crossing my mind that this is probably going to be the best the last time that I see my mother alive. Yes, she passed away in September, and it, that was, in fact, the last time I had seen her alive. You know, I, I, I made a lot of meetings, and I shared about it. People shared with me how they got through a grieving process. And in a way, it was, it was you know, I, I had a few months to prepare for it, but still, you're never prepared when it happens. I just, uh, when it actually happened, I, I had kind of a meltdown. I actually beat up a pizza. <laughs> How did you beat up I, a pizza? Tell me about that. <laughs> Maybe it's a new therapy I need. <laughs> well, it, it seemed to work pretty well. And here's the funny part. I had a brand new car that had a leather interior. <laughs> and my, my husband and I had uh, gone to pick up a pizza. And I was sitting in the front seat with the pizza on my lap. And that's when my meltdown started, and I just started pounding on the pizza box on my lap. And, the, of course, the oil went everywhere onto the leather interior. And my poor husband's in the driver's seat just looking at me and, uh, you know, went on for a few minutes. He looked at me and said, you feel better now? <laughs> wow, that was so nice of him to just let you go and do what you had to do. Yeah, but, I, I mean, actually, I did feel better. And I, I made a meeting, and... Um, you know, grief, grief is, a, is there's, there's no right or wrong way, from my understanding, to deal with grief. We all do it in our different way, you know? Um, and that was it. I, it was just like I, from that point forward, I went on autopilot for the next maybe six months. And uh, I didn't really talk about it. I didn't really share about it. Until I was going to work one morning. It was very early in the morning. and. Um, the oddest reason I could I could kind of feel my mother's presence in the car and again I just had another breakdown where I had to pull over to the side of the road and have a good cry and I got it out of my system and you know I went and I you know as I was having these these little meltdowns and breakdowns I would go and you know I would make meetings and I would talk to my sponsor about about this and my sponsor and the people in the rooms were all very supportive and they told me what I just said is that, you know what, there's no right or wrong way to deal with grief. It's, it's different for everyone. So, um, that's, you know, may, maybe beating up a pizza is not the best way for someone else to deal with it, but it's certainly, um, you know, it was certainly helpful to me in the moment, <laughs> you know, and it was very helpful too to, um, you know, 
the fact that I had to travel on a couple of different occasions when these, you know, when she was diagnosed and then when she passed away, I, I had to travel again um, to make a plan because I, I uh, you know, at three years, I considered myself and I still do three years to be very early recovery. And um, I wanted to have a plan in place of where there were meetings and what days they were and what time they are and how I was going to get there. Um, and I followed those plans. And I got through it. Um, I, you know, when she did finally pass away, my family was, my family was just in such shock, which is kind of why I think I went on autopilot. I, I went in and um, I just, I started making the arrangements. I, you know, was, I called all the credit card companies and canceled her credit cards and did what I had to do there and uh, called the funeral home and, and made sure that um, she was going to be laid to rest in a plot that was next to where my father would eventually go. And, um, you know, so, so, so by having a plan and kind of staying busy, I won't say that I necessarily didn't deal with the grief because I did. I just didn't deal with it in the moment. Um, so that, you know, well, that, you know that's, Robin, I mean, you were talking about in the beginning about in the long run that it was easier to get high and not deal with those pains. But I'm wondering, after you're sharing this story with your mom and how you stayed sober through it, and kudos to you, and someone had mentioned in an earlier segment too about having meetings lined up in that area where they were going to travel to go to a, a funeral or a parent that was passing away. And they knew where that meeting was. It was a meeting that they attended regularly when they lived in that area. And that was the reflex to do. The reflex is to call your sponsor. The reflex is to call your supports. The reflex is to go to a meeting because that's what we have practiced. Do you not now think that it would have been easier in the long run to have dealt with that pain and gone through it sober? Oh, no, 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 no. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I, I was sober when I went through that, through that, but you know, in the, in the beginning, which is kind of what led to my addiction, um, you know, I didn't want to deal with the grief of, of my losing my, I hate to say it like this, but my innocence to a family member. And um, I didn't want, you know, I couldn't deal with the feelings that I was getting from being um, physically abused, um, you know, beaten on. I, you know, I just... Uh, you know, I started drinking and using at a very early age, and I just never dealt with those feelings until I got clean. Mm, I would say definitely as a child, as a child, we have absolutely no skills whatsoever. And, and yeah, yeah, I hear you. Right. That's, that's, that's how I ended up in there, too. But yeah, when I'm in the moment and I'm going through it, I'm the one that's taking care of the business. I stay busy. I do that, too. And I don't think you need to call it that you, know, you went like six months and then had a breakdown that is your natural grieving process. And that's when you had that release of that pain, that pain is in there and you got to let it out. Don't you agree? I do. And, you know, no matter how, you know, when, when you get into recovery, no matter how much you try to stuff that stuff down, it's eventually going to bubble up to the surface in one way or another. And and for me, I, I found that when that happens, as long as I'm not hurting myself or someone else, that's the best thing. Just let it happen and go with the feeling and let it 
you know, just let it wave over you and wash back out the sea. <laughs> Beat up a pizza if you have to, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Why not? Why not? I don't think that pizza cared. All right, we're going to go to, thank you, Robin, so much for sharing us. We're going to go to Steve. Steve, where are you calling from? Henderson, Kentucky. Henderson, Kentucky. Welcome to Sober in the City. Uh-huh. How are you? Doing great. How are you? I'm good. We're beating up this topic of uh, grief and relapse. And uh, I've certainly been through some grief and recovery and some loss. And I've been through some loss in addiction, uh, finding that I was delaying the process and had to go through it eventually anyway. What has been your experience, Steve? Well, my experience, uh, first off, I'd like to say I'm sorry to, about Robin's mother. I'm sorry that she uh, had to go through that. I certainly feel for her in that process. You know, I, I didn't have any abuse issues, anything really to grieve uh, that, that, or, that caused uh, me to become alcoholic or addict. Um, and uh, so most of my grieving has been self-inflicted primarily. Things that, uh, that my disease uh, took from me and... Uh, during addiction, and then that later I had to grieve. And during recovery, I've had some things that I've, of course, had to grieve. I still have both of my parents, uh, so I haven't gone through that. However, um, I have had, uh, you know, some um, some health issues uh, early in recovery. I initially had health issues that were potentially life threatening, and so that was kind of a loss. And uh, and and since I've made full recovery uh, for many years now uh, as far as the health. And, and so um, so just a variety of different things. But initially, it was like the loss of a uh, life of a girlfriend, high school and college sweetheart, and, uh, in, and the uh, addiction destroyed that relationship. And that, and that was probably the biggest loss, I would say, that I've worked through in my recovery. And that wasn't an easy thing, it was, but, but it's just a gradual you know, as their feelings start bubbling back up and, and the full realization of, of the, the consequences of, of my addiction, and then, uh, you know, then that pain starts coming, you know. What do you think about grieving the lifestyle and the actual drugs that we were using? What do you think about that kind of grief, people going through that? that are Yeah, well, I heard you say, right. I was thinking that, too, as I heard you, you know, uh, in, introduce that, and, and that was, part of it too because I was thinking back uh, you know, I originally got into recovery uh, at 26 years old and so I've been sober most of the last 26 years and um, you know I was pretty young and at that time uh, there were even less young people in the rooms than there are now and so it was uh, you know and that, that's some gets that everybody has to kind of deal with that whether they're 25 or, or 50 when they come in if, if they've used that as you said that was their best friend um, that was their, their, how they had fun, how they found their sorrows, everything. And then you give it up, you know, it's a, it's a big loss. Steve, how old were you but when you I got sober? 26. Robin, how old were you when you got sober? I was 31. Do you feel like either of you, do you feel like you grieved the years that you gave away in addiction? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Steve, go ahead. Missed opportunities. I would say missed opportunities because mainly mine was like, that would have been 10 years, basically, like from 16 to 26 is what I consider my years, you know, that I was uh, uh, in addiction. And uh, so even though that's, that's a pretty crucial time of my life, you know, and I missed some opportunities and certainly would have done things differently had I been um, sober 
you know, and, and, um, sane, <laughs> but so, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's a big, that's, that's a big loss too. What about you, Robin? What do you think it is that you maybe, how do you think your life had been altered for not having those years? Um, I absolutely agree that, you know, when I first got clean and sober, I kind of grieved for those years of of the things that could have been that would never be. Um, I, too, had some health issues that were a direct result of uh, my active addiction, and I still have those to this day. Um, you know, but now with with a little time under my belt, I can look at it. I can look back at it and say, I don't really so much grieve for it anymore because everything that that I've gone through in life made me who I am today. And I love the person I am today. And it took me a really long time to be able to say that. Had I not gone through all of those experiences, good and bad, I wouldn't be who I am. Um, I did kind of grieve the lifestyle as well when I first got clean and sober. Um, you know, I mean, I was I was raised in a small Midwestern town, and um, I was introduced to um, what's the proper way to say this? I, there, there's really no no pleasant way to say it, but I was introduced into escorting mm-hmm. and making a lot of money, and I went from wearing jeans and sneakers to wearing all the <clears throat> high fashion designer clothes and having sugar daddies that were buying me cars and, you know, just taking care of my every little need. And I'm sitting here thinking, damn, I missed out. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm such an addict to the bone, I swear to God. And, and I'm just cheering. I mean, it's not something I'm going to go hacked out on, but that's where my thinking goes. Like, well, yeah, you know, and where here, was here's I? the thing with that. Damn here's it. the thing with that, though, Debbie. You know, I mean, yeah, when you first hear it, it sounds great. It it sounds like wow, you know, I, all this money, all the clothes, yeah. But I know what goes cars. along with it. You don't want it. I know, I know. But you play the whole tape, and you know, making all that money and wearing all those nice clothes. At the end of it, I was living in abandoned buildings, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so I I have I have to remember to play the tape all the way through and see where that took me. And uh, you know, that's that's how I deal with with right. grieving that lifestyle when it comes up. It's great having all the clothes and not being able to afford to dry clean them or a car you can't afford to insure or put gas in. I know. <laughs> Absolutely right. You know, I went, um, my addiction probably went from the ages of 13 to 38. And I think one of the things I gave up was a choice to have a family. You know, so that's that's something that I definitely take a look at. Well, you know, getting back to what you were talking about, I'll just interject this. Uh, you, you know, as far as the lifestyle, you know, and, and what you see other people's normal, uh, you know, drinking, at least when it applies to alcohol, you know, normal use, um, you know, then it's easy to kind of get back into to thinking, well, I wasn't like that, though, at the end, you know, and really wasn't like that even at the beginning. I didn't drink like that. So it can kind of be a, a, a slippery slope if I start thinking, yeah, you know, you start, uh, you know what I mean? When you start thinking, oh, if I hadn't, if I weren't an alcoholic or addict, you know, right? When actually am, and and I never drank normally uh, like that, and certainly the way I used was not 
social thing in. There was nothing social about it. It was me alone. And, and we, we talked about in the last segment, if I could just go do one, and I'm thinking, yeah, if I could just go right. do one every day, well, may, maybe every two hours. No, wait, that's using. <laughs> right. Uh-uh. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> now, I absolutely agree with that. You know, um, I, I was never um, what would be termed a social drinker or a social user. From, from the very first time I, I drank a beer, I was never what you would call a social drinker. It was, you know, drink till you're drunk and that was it. And I would go on these, I would go on these Coke vendors and be up for three, four, five days at a stretch. And at the end, I'd be hallucinating. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing pretty about that. Right. Oh, no, not at all. So tell us some of the things that you've grieved, Robin. Here's the biggest thing for me, Debbie, and, and I'll be I'll be very honest. Um, I have my daughter. I have I have one daughter. I had her when I was young. I was just uh, two months past eighteen when I had her, and when she was three years old, um, I left. I left her with my parents, and I took a walk, and I disappeared from her life. I disappeared from their life, and I was gone for twelve years. They had me declared legally dead. I was gone so long. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And it was, to be honest, it was the shame and the guilt that kept me away. That kept me out there for so many years. And that is probably the biggest regret and the biggest thing that I have grieved is missing out on those formative years with my daughter. And she's back in my life today. Um. You know, we're more like sisters than we are mother and daughter, and we'll probably never really have that mother-daughter relationship. Um, you know, but I'm happy for what she can give me now, you know, and, and I'm happy for what I can give her. I'm happy to be there for her if she, you know, if she wants to talk. But, uh, you know, it, still to this day, and um, I'm 18-plus years clean and sober, I grieve for that. I grieve for those years that I lost with her. Because wow. those are years that I'll never get back. Yeah, I was just thinking, what can you do to get yeah. that back? I mean, does she have any children? You're going to have some grandkids? She does. I have two grandsons. So do you, fi- <laughs> Aww, do you find yourself kind of trying to make it up there and trying to have that relationship with them? Does that I help? do, but you, you have to be kind of careful there, too, because, you know, you have to find some balance when... When my first grandson was born, I went crazy. I bought everything. <laughs> I bought the strollers, the crib, the yeah, yeah. I mean, everything you could imagine. I I, I must have bought like a two year supply of diapers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you know, you you kind of have to find a balance and be careful there too. Well, I guess if you're trying to fill that void that you missed with your daughter by trying to fill it with the grandkids. It's like us filling that spiritual void that's inside of us with drugs, alcohols, and other substances. Steve, can you share on that at all? That would be a tough one as far as, you know, trying to relive uh, or make up for, you know, uh, time you missed with your daughter. Um, You know, and I can relate to that. It was after I got sober, uh, the mother... uh, kept her away from me. And so I've kind of missed, you know, even though I was clean and sober during that time, I missed 10 years first. Well, you know, 10 of of the first 15 years of my daughter's uh, life. And so, so I can certainly relate to that, Robin. Um, You know, I can't go back and and get that back. And and, uh, so that is a big loss. Yeah, definitely. And me, 
you know, a 38 and need a little bit of time to get my head together. I uh, feel like I've totally missed that opportunity on having children. And I wonder if I would have wanted to have them. I always thought I'd have stepchildren. I don't know why, <laughs> but I guess I do. Yeah. I sponsor a lot of women, well, so they're my stepkids, you know? Yeah, you know, and I could relate to that too, Debbie, as far as, because I didn't get married until I was 35, and I, I was uh, about 10 years uh, clean and sober, and, and so I certainly would never have planned it that way. You know, I had one child um, that was conceived in my 20s, uh, uh, you know, and really wasn't even a relationship. It was more like party buddies, you know? Mm. And so I, I kind of missed that opportunity to have a normal family and, and a uh you know, nuclear family type, if you will, uh, of wife and kids, and and so I married a woman with two two uh, young daughters, and and so I you know raised them, stepdaughters, and and uh, you know, but still, it's it's kind of a loss too. So I can certainly kind of relate to to in some ways to what you're you know, it's not what your the ideal situation or what you would have planned, but it is what it is, and and you have to deal with it. <laughs> And I've got the Chihuahua. <laughs> the Chihuahua gets me through. <laughs> right? Yeah, I see pictures of the Chihuahua. Yeah. <laughs> Robin, and let, let me just chime in here as well. And I kind of like what you said about the fact that you have sponsees. Um, I, you know, as as opposed to when I first came in, there are so many young people coming in through the doors now, and I have several several very young sponsees that are much younger than my daughter who kind of look at me as a second mother. So it's, it's almost like, like God gave me another chance to do it. You know, it's true. It's true. They need that nurturing. They need that love. They need that, uh, uh, the discipline. They, they need everything that they didn't get in their homes, quite frankly. So thank you, yeah. Robin. Thank you, Steve, for being here with us on Sober in the City. Wherever there is breath, there is hope. Never give up and never quit fighting. Please support our advertisers so we can continue to bring you Sober in the City and visit us at SoberInTheCity.com and listen live on the Sober in the City app for both Apple and Android devices. Please support the Freedom from Addiction Foundation at FFAFoundation.com. Put a dollar in the basket today. Until next week, I'm Debbie Strand, one day at a time, staying sober in the city. Belief Treatment Center, we understand. 
We understand you are struggling. That's why our treatment nourishes mind, body, and spirit. We understand that recovery works differently for everyone. That's why we design individual treatment programs specifically for you. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand that it's not easy. That's why we offer a comprehensive scope of services, including nutrition, massage, chiropractic, and aftercare for you and even for your family. Believe Treatment Center is a 12-step friendly, state-of-the-art facility located in gorgeous Palm Beach County, Florida. We are experts in all types of addiction and recovery, and we are proud sponsors of Sober in the City. To find out more about our program and how your insurance may cover your treatment, call us today at 1-855-874-2354. That's 855-874-2354. 1-855-874-2354. Or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com. Believe Treatment Center. We understand.